Morning. My name is Hojin, and I'm one of the pastors, one of the three pastors here at our church, and I have the privilege of sharing from God's Word today. In 2004, Frank Warren uh, started an experiment. He was working at a suicide prevention hotline, and this experiment uh, became what some of you may now know as post-secret. Uh, this is an experiment where, well, it's more than an experiment now. It's a community mail art project in which people mail their secrets. They mail their secrets anonymously on homemade postcards. And over 15 years, he's collected over 1 million secrets. So that picture behind him is actually his wife adding postcards to this pyramid that he has at his own house. They they range from all over the place with emissions of, uh, believe it or not, criminal activity uh, to confessions of secret desires, embarrassing habits, hopes, and dreams. And I wanted to share a couple of them with you. I buy fruit that matches my kitchen to put in the fruit basket, even if I don't like them. This next one, uh, it's not a postcard. It was written on half of a cup uh, uh, half of a Starbucks cup. I give decaf to customers who are rude to me. <laughs> I worked at Starbucks during seminary, and that's messed up. That's messed up. The next one, I have 11 secrets that I've never told anyone. It's both my biggest fear and my greatest desire to find someone I trust enough to share all of them with. I just feel so invisible and alone. And one last one. I fear I have an undiagnosed mental illness. These confessions just prove to us the need to put out there what we try to bottle up, we try to keep way down, hidden, somewhere in our hearts, in our minds, and I want to pose this question, would you have something to write if I gave you a blank postcard today? If you were guaranteed to be anonymous, what might be something you would admit or confess? Maybe some of you have something right away, maybe you don't. But we are in the second to last week of our sermon series called Triumph by the Cross. And we've intentionally confronted topics and areas of life that tempt us to think that Jesus' resurrection don't matter to us. That Jesus' resurrection don't have something, doesn't have something to say to us today. And the basic premise is that if Jesus was raised from the dead after being crucified on the cross, it means that the resurrection is everything. It means all of Christianity hinges upon this one historical true event, and we can experience God's joy, hope, and peace today. Today. And there are threats, there are obstacles. And this morning we want to look at the topic of shame. And one uh, Christian counselor and author, Ed Welch, he defines shame in this way. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. Shame can come from something that you've done, that is guilt from wrongdoing, maybe guilt from sin, which is actually an appropriate 
type of shame. This type of shame comes from disobedience. It comes from treating others in a way you know you shouldn't. Going against your conscience, evil and selfish desires that you have, and addictions that you struggle with. Shame can also come from something that was done to us. That is shame from being wronged against. And this type of shame comes from mistreatment from others, maybe manipulation and abuse of all sorts, right? Physical, verbal, emotional, relational, even spiritual. Feeling like you're not good enough as a follower of Jesus. Ridicule and even bullying. And shame can also come from something associated with us. Shame, uh, this type of shame comes from just repeated obstacles that are at least somewhat out of our control. I know I've talked to some people about getting fired. That was not in your control to some extent, but we experience shame in it. We experience shame in being single. We experience shame in having a hard time getting pregnant. A lot of different things. We have shame around physical ailments sicknesses that that we might have. We have mistakes and failures of family members that we're associated with through which we experience shame. Shame is this very real thing. And many of you know, know who Brene Brown is. She's a shame and vulnerability researcher. And on top of all of this, she adds that it's complicated for gender, too, that Women, for women, the shame comes from this statement, do it all and do it perfectly. For men, shame comes from this statement, don't be weak. Don't be weak. And regardless of the source, shame is this feeling, perception that you and I are unclean, broken, damaged, and worthless. It affects us deeply on an individual basis and even in a corporate level. It affects our community. Shame is a universal experience, and all of us know what shame looks like, smells like, feels like. And the Bible has stories about shame. In fact, uh, in Scripture, there are 10 times more stories of shame than guilt. And today, we want to look at what the Bible says about shame. We want to look at what the Bible says about how Jesus helps us overcome shame. So if you have your Bibles, I know that was a big, big dose of stuff to swallow. But we're going to look at scripture now, Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, starting from verse 40, and we're going to read to verse 48. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me up on the screen. Luke chapter 8, starting from verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at his feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. That word pressed is the same word in the parable of the sower, where the thorns choke. The crowd pressed, the people pressed around him. Verse 43, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, 
she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray before we continue. Father, we come before you, and we don't want just information. We want the living, active word of God. And we thank you that we're told that it's like a double-edged sword. So we pray that it would do whatever's necessary for each and every person here. No one came into this room accidentally. May we be transformed. May, may we live out what we hear. And may you use me in however you please. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in Luke chapter 8, we have the story of a woman. And it's sandwiched between another story. This guy named Jairus, this synagogue leader, this religious leader, And this woman, we're told in verse 43, has been suffering from bleeding. Literally, a flow of blood. And this story, you should go home and read it, is also told in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 5. And this woman likely had a hemorrhage in her uterus for 12 years. Blood, she couldn't stop blood from coming out. And this woman's bleeding would have been the source of immense shame for her. Because according to Jewish laws in the Old Testament, she would have been considered perpetually unclean. Jewish laws said that anything she touched, any body she touched, even the things that she sat on were unclean. So everyone would have avoided her at all costs. And this woman would have very few friends, at least public friends, Her family would have distanced themselves from her, and her physical bleeding would be a complicated problem to endure, but the social bleeding, right, the the problem of how it affects her relationships, that was likely to be absolutely unbearable for 12 years. And by looking at Luke chapter 8, we want to look at three ways. Shame affects us. Shame tries to defeat us. But then we also want to see how Jesus helps us overcome shame. So we're going to look at three ways shame tries to defeat us and three ways Jesus overcomes shame. First, shame tells us that we're worthless. An extremely large crowd has formed to see Jesus to the point where it was crushing him. And in verse 44, this woman, she hears about Jesus. Rumors have spread about this miracle worker, Jesus and his ability to heal, and she comes up behind him in hopes of being healed. And what Luke does and the other gospel writers do is, is that Jairus was able to come to Jesus and make his need known. But this woman, she kept her need secret. 
she comes up from behind Jesus. This bleeding woman hoped to be healed by Jesus without getting in the way, without interrupting him, without stopping him, without being seen. She must have certainly been told by others throughout the 12 years of suffering that she was untouchable. And more than that, she had most likely been telling herself that she was unclean and untouchable. So why would she bother Jesus? Just touch the edge of his clothing, the edge of his garment, without him knowing. Shame says, you don't deserve or warrant attention, even though you're hurting, even though you want healing. Shame says, you've done too much wrong, or you're too beyond repair to be seen, to be noticed. And shame tells us we're worthless. Secondly, shame cripples us. Shame cripples us. We're told in verse 43 that this woman, she spent all of her living, all of her savings on trying to get this physical problem healed. Though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. This woman suffered her hemorrhage for 12 years, and she did anything and everything to fix this problem, to stop being a social outcast. But no matter who she asked for help, and no matter how much money she spent, she could not be healed. And shame tempts us to try to fix the problem on our own. Shame pressures us to use our time, energy, and resources to fix something that we actually can't fix by ourselves. Even researchers out, you know, non-Christian people, they say shame, help for shame has to come from the outside. This woman had dug a hole for herself trying to get rid of her shame. And lastly, shame isolates us. Shame isolates her, us. This woman, she reasons that all she needs to do is touch the edge of Jesus' clothing in order to be healed. And what ends up happening is that that belief, it comes true. Immediately, she's healed. As soon as she touches Jesus' clothing, she's healed. And now, it's time to get out of there. It's, it's time to get out of that situation as quickly as possible. Any attention brought there would have meant being called a social outcast again. Being blamed for coming into a large crowd, likely touching a lot of people on the way to Jesus, and then touching Jesus of all people. The last thing she needs to happen is to be noticed and seen. She needs to disappear And in verse 47, we read that the woman saw that she was not hidden. This is her absolute nightmare. She wants to be invisible. And it says that she came trembling. She could only come if she had tried to leave. She had already made made a run for it. She wanted to be hidden. She was forced to come back. And this is probably the worst part of shame. Shame, be it internal or external factors, shame causes us to feel alone. And to literally be alone, we remove ourselves from the situation. We withdraw physically. We we withdraw emotionally. We lock up our shame in a figurative box. We try to hide it away in the furthest place where no one can find. So shame tells us these three things. It tries to defeat us, saying that we're worthless. Shame tries to cripple us, and shame tries to isolate us. And if we look at what is out there in terms of getting help. And I did a Google search. 
how to overcome shame, 49 million hits. You get some advice from psychologists and psychiatrists and life coaches, and this is some of the advice that they give. Bring shame into the light. Untangle what you are feeling. Unhitch what you do from who you are. Recognize your triggers. Make connections. This is a psychologist. Become attuned to the script of your inner dialogue. Develop greater inner compassion with yourself. Become a witness to in mourning your soul, or mourning your wounds. Forgive yourself for feelings, thoughts, and actions of your former selves. And I'm not knocking on medical professionals, but when I read those lists, the samp those sample lists, they don't provide me with a solution. They don't provide me with a way out. They provide me ways to cope with shame that I already have. One author says, our attempts to detach ourselves from shame by our own strength is like putting cheap paint over rust. The rust is still there and eventually will show up again. So we want to look at this passage, and I know it's a huge dose of reality to tell you how shame tries to defeat us, but we need, we need to recognize that so that we can look at how Jesus helps us overcome. Shame tells us that we're worthless, but Jesus tells us that he sees us. Jesus tells us that he sees us. The woman touches Jesus and is immediately healed, and could not Jesus have just let her run off? But in verse 45, he says, who was it that touched me? Who was it that touched me? To the point where Peter's like, are you serious, Jesus? Do you see this crowd? Everyone is touching you. But he insists, he says, no, someone touched me. Someone touched me. So when Jesus asks, who touched me? Who was it that touched me? Do you think Jesus doesn't know who touched him? I think Jesus knew. I think Jesus knew exactly who touched him, and he wants this woman to know that Jesus noticed her. And that's the, the conflict for this woman. Being seen and noticed is the last thing that she wants. It's a terrifying thing for her. Being seen and noticed is connected to being put down again. It's a painful thing, and it's a moment of crisis when Jesus insists to know who it is that touched him. Does she confess? Does she, want, does she bring unwanted eyes to look on her? And for Jesus, he knows that this has to be the way, this has to be the way that Jesus heals her. It can't just be the physical. He doesn't want her to be hidden and feeling worthless anymore. The second thing that, she, that Jesus does in the face of shame that tries to cripple this woman, Jesus heals her and Jesus leads her. And he'll do that for us too. Jesus heals us and Jesus leads us. This woman spent everything that she had, 12 years, all of her life savings, trying to be healed by doctors of her time. So when, Jesus, uh, when this woman reached out and touched Jesus, her bleeding stopped. It was so evident the very moment that she touched Jesus' clothes that all of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, says that she was instantly, she was immediately healed. But all of this happened invisibly. 
When Jesus asks the identity of the person who touched him, he wants the woman's healing to be known. It was one thing for her to be healed physically. He wanted her to be healed completely, even socially. The source of her shame was addressed, right? The bleeding. But he wanted to transform the very public shame that she she had into a very public redemption and restoration. In verse 47... It says that she's caught, she's busted, she touched Jesus. And she's so scared. She falls in front of him, but then she declares, in the presence of all the people. Luke is very intentional about that. In the presence of all the people, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This woman who wanted to be invisible, to be the background, to to not be noticed, declares publicly how Jesus healed her. It's not her preferred way of being healed. She wanted to run away. And I know this is such a silly thing, but even at Cornerstone, when people get baptized, confirmed, we ask you to give a testimony of, of who Jesus is to you, what he did in your life, and 99% of people hate doing that. Being up here is so scary, right? It's not your preferred way, but it's also part of your healing. Jesus wanted everyone to know that this woman was no longer unclean. He wanted everyone to know her story to the point where thousands of years later, we're reading about her, this nameless woman. And lastly, Jesus adopts us. Jesus adopts us. Shame tries to isolate us, but Jesus adopts us. And look at the words that Jesus says. Even if we just took away this one verse, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. These are the words, these are the words that someone struggling with shame needs to hear. It's highly likely that this woman is older than Jesus, right? Jesus was in his early 30s. It's highly likely this woman has not heard the word daughter in a very long time. And shame makes us feel unacceptable, but Jesus calls this formerly unwanted, unclean, defeated woman. He looks at her and says, daughter, you're my daughter. Shame makes us feel like we can't do anything right. But to this woman, he says, your faith has healed you. She felt like she did something wrong. She touched Jesus when she shouldn't have. But Jesus affirms her. He affirms her faith in him, her confidence and trust that Jesus was capable of healing her, what was causing her shame. And then shame makes us feel cursed, right? We feel like shame follows us around wherever we go. And to this woman, Jesus says, go in peace. Go with the peace of God that I'm able to offer to you. And I've said this before, but this woman needed more than physical healing. Jesus wanted her to know for certain she had a place where she belonged that she, she was accepted. 
and she could trade in her shame and walk away with God's peace. At a basic level, yes, Jesus healed this woman, but he did more than that. He gave her a new identity. He declared her clean, restored, daughter, full of faith, and bearer of God's peace, a recipient of God's peace. I hope that sounds like good news, (laughs) right? Jesus, he sees us. He heals us. He leads us. And he adopts us. And one Bible scholar, Joel Green, he says this about this woman in in Luke 8. He says, this is the story of the woman's resolution to cross the borders of legitimate behavior to gain access to divine power. That's like Bible nerd talk for she was willing to do anything to get contact with Jesus. And this woman's faith, if you think about it, wasn't perfect. She treated Jesus' clothing like this magic cloak. It was probably not orthodox to think about Jesus' clothing in that way. But she believed fully in Jesus' capacity, his ability to heal her. This woman might not have had the proper fear when she was recognized by Jesus. But one thing was certain, she was sure that Jesus could heal her. She wasn't just interested in Jesus when all the rumors are flying. She took a step of faith. She knew that going out into the crowd, going out in public, risked a lot of different things. But if this guy, if this man was truly what, who everyone was talking about, who he says he is and what he was able to do, I need to somehow reach out to him. She risked consequences if she were caught. She risked everyone becoming unclean religiously, even Jesus. But all of this indicated great confidence in Jesus' ability. And some of us here, maybe you are like this woman. You've heard about this Jesus maybe for your entire life. You've been hearing for the past week, past few weeks here, how Jesus' resurrection changes everything, and you've come this morning carrying something that maybe no one knows about. Maybe you have shame that you don't want to be opened up. And probably, like this woman, you want to be healed. But you want to come anonymously. You just want to submit your post-secret in hopes that one day your shame will be taken away. It's too dangerous for anyone to really know what you did or what happened to you or what you're associated with. And either literally or figuratively, you run away or you want to run away. And this series, we're intentionally calling it Triumph by the cross, triumph by the cross. That if Jesus' resurrection really did happen, then it matters for us today. And with regard to shame, it means that Jesus had plenty of things that would bring a normal person so much shame. He 
was born into a situation where his mother conceiving him out of marriage was a great scandal. In a lot of people's eyes, he was a bastard child. He was born in this lowly and unremarkable way in a manger. He was born and raised from a hometown where everyone said nothing good can, can come from there. One of his disciples, one of his 12 closest friends, betrays him. And he gets put up on a cross, public humiliation. And then for three days, proving to many people that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. That's if he didn't get raised back to life if he didn't come out of that tomb, but he did. And if Jesus is truly who the Bible says he is, he can heal us from whatever that brings us shame. All our shame that we have experienced in the past, that we experience right now, and even in the future. If Jesus is really this powerful and compassionate healer in Luke chapter 8, and then he was raised back to life, he can do the same for us today. And this morning, the question is really, do you believe that Jesus can overcome your shame? And this is not mental agreement. This is not mental assent, cognitive. Oh yeah, I know he can. No, this is crossing the borders of appropriate behavior. Are you willing to bank everything on the fact that Jesus can heal you? that Jesus wants to heal you. Maybe not in the way that you expect, maybe not in the way that you want, but do you really, do you truly believe that Jesus is capable and willing to heal you? And if you say yes with that wholeheartedly, then the only application for us today is what is one way you can be quote-unquote inappropriate in your faith for Jesus? taking risks to reach out to him. For this woman and for us today, Jesus says, I see you, I know what you're ashamed of, and you don't have to be afraid. Jesus says to the woman and to us today, he calls us out of hiding, he wants to heal us, he wants to lead us through the necessary steps of holistic healing. And Jesus declares that we are daughters and sons of the one and only true, powerful, and compassionate God. So as we close right now, I actually want to take some time to pray, but before we do that, um, I want to make sure you all know that any of the pastors, Pastor Bill right here and Pastor Danny over um, by the wall, we will love you the best that we can. There's nothing that you need to hide from us. It's unlikely you will shock us because we've, for different periods of time, have done this job of being a pastor, trying to love on people, trying to serve you all long enough to know that Jesus accepts, heals, and loves so many people. So many people who feel too broken, too unlovable, too far from God, and I'm going to say it because I have confidence in 
and the other pastors as well, we're not going to stop. So don't believe, if ever the lie comes into your head that you can't share with anyone what you're wrestling with, I'm going to tell you right now, you do have, you have three people, at the very least, you can share with, and we promise to love you. We promise to listen to you, we promise to accept you, because Jesus loves you, and Jesus accepts you. So would you close your eyes at this time? We want to take a little bit of time to pray. The bleeding woman, she physically reached out to touch Jesus to be healed. And this might be a little out of the ordinary, but I want to ask this morning, if you are wrestling with some sort of shame, would you reach out to Jesus symbolically by raising your hand? And I'm, I'm really asking that everyone keeps their eyes closed except for the pastors. If you struggle with any sense of shame, but you want to exercise your faith in Jesus, and it doesn't have to be perfect faith, that you want to be healed by him, you want to be led by him, you want to hear his voice, you want to know and experience that you're his daughter, you're his son, would you raise your hand? Jesus sees you, he accepts you, he declares his promise to heal you in his perfect ways, in his perfect timing, in his wise and and loving grace. He declares over you that you are his daughter and you are his son. Father, we come before you And there are things that try to keep us from really believing that the resurrection matters, but today we want to believe you with a little bit more reckless abandon. We want to put it all on the line and we want to reach out to you. We want to believe the promises of scripture that you're good, you're gracious, that you want to heal us, you want to do everything in your power to make you make us more like your son. And you remind us today, maybe, maybe for the first time you're telling us today that we belong to you, we belong to your family. So Father, we depend on you to do the necessary work. We pray that the word of God would take its roots into our hearts and truth would come out. We would recognize our true identity before you No matter how much shame tries to defeat us, we know that we have a Savior who has overcome everything. So we need you, God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.